All right, yes. Uh, we're going to talk basketball here on 106.7 The Fan. Ben standing at Bridger Oli. Earlier we had on uh, NFL insider Mike Sandy with The Athletic. Shockingly, our next guest also is part of our Slack thread at The Athletic. But more importantly, he is our Wizards insider, and we want to talk about that team. He is Josh Robbins at Joshua B. Robbins on Twitter. And before we welcome him to the show, Josh, we should say basically welcome to town. How is the adjustment going from being uh, years in Orlando to now being here in the uh, more, uh, let's just say, more wintry climate? I'd, I'd say, Ben, I'm, I'm even more disoriented and discombobulated than I usually am. Oh, I... <laughs> so, so uh, it, it's, uh, it's exciting. In reality, it's exciting, and it is disorienting. And uh, I'll feel even better uh, when I formally move. When I physically formally move and have a new residence up there in the DMV, but I'm getting closer to that, and uh, I'm starting to really feel very comfortable covering that team and ready to talk, ready to talk, ready to answer questions. Uh, Fire away. Fire away. Well, let's do it. You obviously also a a local. You're from these parts, so you know the, the, the history of this franchise, which is not always great, but people are really excited with the start they had this season, um, which makes the last few games a bit disconcerting. They've lost three in a row, six and ten. What level of panic are you at based on what you've seen with this team right now? Well, I'm, I'm at zero panic because I'm the writer. I'm the journalist. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like the two of you, uh, I approach it in a, in a dispassionate way. does not mean it's not fascinating Um the team is at a potential potential inflection point. As a matter of fact, I think the real question that I, that I guess I should raise is, is, have they already passed one? In other words, uh, are their struggles reflective of what's the, what the future will be? And I wish I knew for sure. I'm not sure. Um, I don't think Wes Unsell Jr. And, and Tommy Shepard know. It's too tough to tell uh, what, if I were a fan of this team, uh, if it were 30 years ago, 40 years ago, however long it was, and um, I'd be worried for good reason because uh, you're, you're exactly right. They've lost eight of their last 12, and, and it's not just that they're losing, it's how they're losing. And in many cases, they're, getting, they're just getting beaten and, and beaten solidly. So uh, they're in some trouble right now, and the next few games are really going to tell that answer whether this is merely an aberration or, or reflective of the future yeah, josh it looks like their defense is regressing and we spent a good chunk of the early part of the season applauding them for finally figuring out how to play defense how is this happening is there anything you can pinpoint uh, there are a couple things uh certainly there, there is a, a a lot more confusion a few more breakdowns uh, particularly as it relates to, to coverages and pick-and-roll defense. The other night against Cleveland where they were just blown out by a team that's far better than anyone had expected, they, they just did not execute the game plan. And, and you know, So why is that the case? I think part of it is, is the natural slippage that occurs during a season. They're playing so many games on top of each other, they're just not able to practice much. A lame excuse, but a real one. Uh, that's you know, not, it's not, it, it may sound lame, but it's, it's accurate. It's true. It, it, a lot of teams face that, but even worse than that, I think is just how bad their offense is. 
that they're missing so many shots and so often taking bad shots that it's without the other without the opponent taking the ball out of the net, the defense is even more on its heels. So it's the whole thing is a snowball effect. It's bad when the offense is playing badly, it makes the defense look worse. And when they're having to take the ball out of their net, which is far too often, the offense is playing against a set defense and, and very few things right now are for them are easy. And what is really intriguing to me is how a team that has a bunch of veterans seems to be really pressing right now. And, and that's just exacerbating the whole thing. It's almost like they are facing this perfect storm where nothing, very little seems to be going right for them. All right. We're talking with wizards insider, Josh Robbins, our colleague, at the Athletic, Josh. Okay, I'm. I'm. It is. An, I'm your colleague. I'm another writer. I'm not your editor. If I was your editor, I would want you to write this story. Not necessary today. You need to think about it. Do some work. Maybe I shouldn't even say this out loud. But no. But you know, we're, we're going to take a risk. We're, we're we're calling dibs. What has happened to Bradley Beal's shooting? In the sense of, like, we see players enter the league who can't make a shot. Who over time become. Pretty good shooters. Jason Kidd always comes to mind. Couldn't make a shot, end up leading, I think it was the all-time, made the most three-pointers in league history. It's rare to me to see a guy have a textbook perfect shot like Bradley Beal did, but struggled getting to the basket. Then it goes in reverse. Now he gets to the basket and can score uh, pretty effectively that way, and he is shooting under 30% from three. And it's not even just this year. It's been going backwards for a bit. You've seen him out over the years covering, or when you were covering Orlando, now you're here. Can you... A guy's been in our league. Can you explain, or have you ever seen this before? A guy regressing in this way, and obviously he's still one of the best players in the league, and yet it's so odd to me that it's happening. Well, it does happen. It does happen at this very moment. I'm in Orlando, and I live about two miles away from their arena. And Gary Harris, for example, used to be a forty percent shooter, and has regressed to a significant degree. Now, let me just be clear. Gary Harris isn't in Bradley Beal's offensive uh, world, not even close. So there is something going on here down to 27% and I'm rounding up from three. Uh, I think, I think Beal a is facing a lot more coverage this year than he has in the past. Uh, A lot more, many more double teams. Part of that is because he doesn't have a world-class running mate with him. No John Wall, no Russell Westbrook. And for all of Russell Westbrook's faults, and and offensively, he's got a lot. He puts a level of pressure on the defense that, well, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's significant. And when you have someone who can draw that much attention who's that worrisome, uh, it does open up some space for Beal. And he's missing that. Beal's missing that right now. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, even at his best, isn't going to be a John Wall or or Westbrook level pressure maker. <laughs> uh, so that that's part of it. Another part of it is is that, and I, you're right. I have watched Beal for. For 10 years, I don't know him that well, but I think it's pretty clear to me that 
he's putting a lot of pressure on himself. And, and in that sense, he's very much emblematic of, of this team. Uh, one, he's one of many guys, it seems to me, who is, uh, is present. And I, I don't think he's handling that very well. He, many top-level players face this. And here he's in very sharp release because he is far and away the top option on this team now. And he's facing this incredibly important franchise-altering contractual long-term decision that he's got to make. So I think all of this is weighing on him. And um, you know, he's handling it well as a person, it seems. But as a player, he doesn't seem to be handling it well. And, and there are, as I just said, there are elements there that anyone who even handles it well is going to face difficulties so uh, they've got to get him on track they've got to get him on track yeah speaking of him josh it seems like every time beal and dimwitty are on the court together they somehow play worse than when they're separate and even when this team was playing well it was playing well because all of a sudden they were playing defense i'm wondering what you think of this offense is it too complicated are there some serious holes here i mean even if the defense comes back this team needs to get better offensively as well. So put your Wes Unsell Jr. hat on for a second. What does this team need to do to become a better offensive team? Part of it, ideally for them, and they're not wrong, should improve, part of it, not all of it, should improve with familiarity. I think uh, Hal Neto made the point, and, and he's right, that players need, and particularly the point guards, need some time to get used to new personnel. And sometimes it's as basic as knowing where to throw a pass. And that's not why they're so bad, but it's part of it. Uh, familiarity is part of it. Uh, yes, Dinwiddie was brought in to be the running mate for Bradley Beal, and the thought was, well, their games would mesh perfectly. They should mesh perfectly. But part of the problem is, I think, that Dinwiddie is being much too deferential. He's being too unselfish. And... In doing so and not calling his own number and not looking for his own shot, he is making it more difficult for opponents to key on Beal. But if it were that simple, they would have solved it already. I think some of this also is is that at times they simply don't have enough shooting on the floor. Sometimes the most basic explanations are, are the accurate ones. And heading into this season when I was still covering the uh, the Magic, excuse me, I'm, see how confused I am, I would have said, well, the Wizards have got tons of shooting. Well, that hasn't worked out that way. And now when I see them on the court, I, I keep saying to myself, well, they can use a fourth shooter out there to have four high-level shooters at any one time. So for all the Wizards fans out there, I, I for their sake, I wish I could tell them that help is around the corner, that improvement is imminent. But I think it's going to be an incremental improvement if the improvement comes at all, with the caveat being that they could, even if they wind up just being average, they can still be a very good team if they get their defense back up to snuff, which goes back to some of the earliest questions in this interview that you asked. And, you know, what's going on with the defense? If they don't solve that, then they truly are a mediocre team. But but I do think they can get back defensively to where they were. 
All right, uh, you're gonna go uh, read Josh's work on the Athletic. He's got an interesting story up about how do how do the Wizards fit Rui Hachimura and Thomas Bryant back into the rotation when they come back from their situations. And, and I'm not gonna ask Josh to to recap that because you're gonna go read the article. But Josh, in in the in the ten seconds we have left. Denny Avdia, we're not taking him out of the rotation, right? He's an absolute positive. You're not taking my guy Denny out of the rotation, right? No. No, but it's potentially possible that his minutes could could drop a little bit. That's once once Rui comes back. That's that's I would think have to be on the table. All right. Well, we'll we'll consider that. Go follow Josh on Twitter at Joshua B. Robbins. Read him on the athletic. Josh, really appreciate it. We look forward to uh more of your Wizards coverage this year, and we'll talk soon. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, both of you. All right, thanks, Josh. When we come back, we're going to hit a little more Washington football team, Dallas week, talk a little bit more about that, get into are you going to go to the game? Should people be supporting this team in person? When we come back here till 9 o'clock, Ben Standing, Britt Chiroli, overtime, 106.7 The Fan. All right, Ben Standig, Britt Rolly here on 106.7 The Fan. We're, we're staring at each other wondering who should be uh, talking, who shouldn't be. We're working out all the kinks. Is that is that who this is? Uh, is it the, I don't know. Who? By the way, were you sedated in Vegas? Boy, see, I wasn't even going to mention it. You, I guess I guess you, you got my contractual obligation in there mention. of, of mentioning Vegas. Can, can I just say, so uh, thanks to Josh Robbins for talking to Wizards last segment. While he was talking, there's a TV on here in the studio. And I don't watch network TV anymore, really. And all of a sudden, I realized that the cast from Facts of Life, an 80s sitcom that I'm aware of, that my partner is not, is on TV. The original cast is on. I'm super confused what's happening. Only then I realized they're doing like a live version of it. And Jennifer Aniston comes out to play Blair, the main character. I am completely flummoxed while Josh is talking. I don't understand what's happening. But now I'm even more flummoxed that you tell me you've never even heard of the show making me feel even older by the second, so I appreciate that. I've never heard of the show, and I would bet that most people in their 30s and younger have not heard of the show. And also, is this radio show not entertaining enough for you? You're watching TV at the same time that we're talking to Josh Robbins about the Wizards, and me and you are hosting a radio show. Look, I, I don't even know where to begin with this. I, I'm listening to you. I heard everything you just said, and I can see Will Arnett is on the show. It's on. Look, the TV is like right here. I can't like. I just turn my head to the side. I I I can multitask. Do you not it's, multitask? It's like you came back from Vegas, and now like one medium is not enough for you. You need to be overwhelmed. 
because you just came back from Vegas. Are, and now you need like, should we get some strobe lights in here too to also go with this so that you're totally on sensory overload? Uh, apparently, is that your happy place? I think this is a joke. I'm not sure. But Adam Humphrey said after the game that there were like strobe lights in the locker room. They were celebrating Vegas. Style. I think it was a joke, but that's the second time I heard strobe lights mentioned in the last couple of days. All right, serious question. When you're watching television, pick. you said you watch uh, uh, what, what, what Yellowstone. Yellowstone. When you're watching Yellowstone. Are you sitting there with nothing else distracting you? Do you not have your phone out? Do you not have your laptop out? Are you 100% focusing on the show? Uh, usually, especially when you watch like, like Sopranos or The Wire or shows that like you have to watch. There are some shows you can scroll. Sure. But no. And like same thing with, with sporting events. Like if it's a blowout, I might get my phone and scroll. But like we were talking about the Washington football team and the game in Vegas, and I totally thought that that kid kicker was going to absolutely blow the game. And that was a good game, pretty close, I guess, throughout. So I didn't really scroll my phone for the most part. Like, I I don't think I'm technically diagnosed with ADHD or anything, but I am 100% unable to just simply watch on one thing. Now, like when, say, Squid Game, I don't know if you watch that. No. I, I watch that on Netflix, a uh, show from Korea, and I, I went with the subtitles, and the uh, and the in the in the original language. So for that one, you absolutely had to pay attention because I had to read the screen. Other than that, unfortunately, I am I am multitasking at all times. So I can listen to you, listen to our guest, see the TV, check my phone. I'm not saying I'm doing all of it well, but I can do it all. I find this incredibly insulting because uh, two weeks ago I texted you in the middle of a Washington football game, thinking, "Well, he's probably busy and not on his phone." Now. You admit that you are always on your phone, watching a game, scrolling, checking your bank accounts, tweeting, Instagramming at the same time. So there is no excuse for you leaving me on red for hours. About um, that, yeah, that's probably a personal choice. Yeah. So anyway, anyway, Ben, while we're talking about personal choices, would you shell out your a, a significant portion of the standing fortune yeah. to go to this game on Sunday? Would you would you go to this game? If I was going to go to a game on the Washington football team schedule this year, this is the one I would go to. Now, would I, you know, break out uh, some shekels for this one? I, I don't know. I mean, I like I said, if you're into sports and you you have teams, you want them to succeed. It's not fun to just constantly be harping on that what's wrong. The whole point of doing any of this stuff that we waste our time with is to enjoy it and to have fun. And this is the moment to do it. They're a four-game heater. Taylor Heineke's a fun quarterback regardless of what he is or isn't. They're, they're, they're playing with a lot of passion. The, all the post-game celebration videos with Ron Rivera, they're throwing stones at the walls. Like If you're a fan, you're not getting hyped over that stuff, then you just have no pulse. Um, and it's Dallas, right? All the elements are there. But, I mean, me personally, like, eh, I'm not going to spend much money. It's still too early because I, I struggle getting rid of all the, the baggage. I hope that other people don't aren't burdened like I am with thinking of the negative. But like for me personally, I don't think I could I could do it. But if I was gonna, this would be the game to do it. Right. This would be the game that you would circle now though. But a few weeks ago, if you had season tickets, you're thinking, ooh, I can sell these to Dallas fans and make double. Right. So I think unfortunately, because they started off so slowly that a lot of people just sold a lot of their tickets or chose to not go fill up their weekends with other things, right? Put them on StubHub, whatever. And now they're good, and it, now it's a tough ticket to get. So now they're in this weird situation, and we talked about this earlier in the show. Should the team do more, right? Because they're making $250 million from TV. That is paying for the player's salary, right? 
you go into the game buying a hot dog is just icing on the cake for the Snyder Bank account, right? So should they make these tickets more affordable? Should they do something to encourage fans to come out and not encourage Dallas fans instead to pack the stadium? Well, I mean, you know, they're going to do whatever they can to get people to come out. That's ultimately the goal for Jason Wright on the business side of the, of the building. Absolutely. But like we talked about before, like everybody's talked about with this team, there's just so much baggage to overcome because of the Dan Snyder of it all and everything that comes with it. On top of it, just even beyond that, the winning would be good, and they don't do that consistently enough in these parts. Uh, Grant Paulson, who was obviously the afternoon drive time host here, and, and he's, I think, closer, he's certainly closer to your age than he is mine. We talked about this a few weeks ago. He has never seen better than a 10-win team in his whole life. Like, I got to see three Super Bowl winners. He's seen a 10-win team, and at some point, he's obviously a crazy, passionate fan why he does all this. But if you're not that level, at some point, you know, you might be checking out. Um, We talked about this. We talked earlier about the stadium stuff. There's still a debate where is Washington, the franchise, going to put this new stadium. Right. Maryland, whether they leave it in Maryland, put it in D.C. or Virginia. And I say to people, I, I this is just based on my own thoughts, if they put it in Virginia, you risk losing a lot of Maryland fans because they have another option. There is a team not that far up 95 that they win. They win. And they win pretty consistently. And they have a really fun player in Lamar Jackson. And I think there's a lot of fans. The, the new kicker, Brian Johnson, grew up right down the street from where I live. He said he grew up a Ravens fan. Right. So I, I think that part of the problem is, is just this fan base is so beaten down that – you know, it's going to take a minute for things to turn around. But again, that's why I go back to, I don't know, maybe think about it. Like, if you really care, if you really have ever wanted to go to a fun game, this is a fun one at a minimum. It I'm, is. I'm it not... is a fun one. And 2027 is when they can get out of FedEx Field, right? Correct. So it's going to be a while for that. Though, I think I read somewhere it takes like three to four years to build a stadium. So they would really kind of have to decide soon where that's going to go. And I agree with you. Like, the Raven Stadium is also really convenient to get to. So Absolutely. right off the highway, there's a lot of entrances, exits. They have a lot of things going for them. Unlike FedEx Field. That FedEx Field doesn't have. So there is probably that legitimate concern as somebody who I live in Maryland and driving to Virginia um, would be a hassle. You know, it would be like, okay, or should I just go down to Baltimore? It's not that far. It's a lot easier. Get on and off the highway. Don't have to deal with that kind of stuff. The experience matters, I think, because we've gotten so accustomed to watching a game on TV is great now. These broadcast crews are great. You got the big flat screens. You can see, and we talked about this uh, off air. You said how in the press box, it's tough to watch a football game. Let me tell you, it's great at home, as you know. I mean, it's really great at home. You got the broadcasts. You've got the lines that show you the first downs. You've got what's going on. Um, And so you really feel like you understand the games more when you're watching it. So for people to go to these games, you have to give them an experience. The experience matters. The winning matters, certainly. Uh, but the winning is going to ebb and flow, right? You also have to give them something that they're not going to get at home. And I think that they've really struggled in that regard uh, for the better part of two decades as well. Also, if you're at home watching a game, you'll probably see commercials that tell you that the Facts of Life live show is on. Jason Bateman is now on. I heard everything you said, but I saw Jason Bateman. I just felt I needed to say it. There's a lot that's interesting. Wow. Not as interesting as us talking sports. I'm just saying that's what's going, that's going on. All right, we've got two segments to go. Here on Overtime, Ben Standing, Britt Giroli, come back. I promise no more facts, live comments, but we will talk about the football team. And if you want to give us a call, Britt, what's the number they can call? It is 800-636-1067. All right. Do it.
All right. Welcome back. Richard Rowley, Ben Standig, who is watching TV, tweeting, texting, and talking on the radio here with you on Overtime till 9, 1067, The Fan. Dallas week, big week, the biggest week in quite some time for the football team. We talked a little bit about the Wizards earlier with Josh Robbins, who doesn't think it's panic time, but thinks it's a, a critical time for that team. I think the same can be said about the football team. This is a critical game. This is going to show us, are they just a cute team with a four-game win streak, or are they serious contenders um, in the NFC East? We've got Ben Standig with the brains here of this operation, covers the football team for his real job. Ben, you have some things you want to get off your chest concerning this team? Well, I would say it's more like three things I'm thinking about going into this week. Three Uh, things you think you think. Yes, to, to use that Peter King type deal. Three things I think I think about the Washington football team going into this Dallas week. By the way, you can, of course, tweet me your thoughts at Ben Standing, and you are at Britt underscore, underscore Giroli. I don't think we said our Twitter handles enough. I like people to follow me on Twitter. Um, just be nice. Uh, okay, so first thing, obviously injury is kind of a big deal. There's a few guys we need to keep an eye on. Landon Collins missed last week with a foot issue, but Ron Rivera thought he'd be back at practice this week. They got by without him in this game against the Raiders, but you know, he's been a playmaker for them now that since they've moved him into this Buffalo nickel role where he's playing closer to the line of scrimmage. So that's something to keep an eye on. J.D. McKissick as well, obviously gives him a, a big passing down uh, threat out of the backfield. I mentioned earlier, they did not protect a running back on the practice squad this week. Perhaps an indication that they think McKissick will be okay. We talked, uh, well, we didn't talk about this, but the centers, Keith Ishmael started last game. He's their fourth string center. Two of the other backups, Tyler Larson and Wes Schweitzer, all these guys are playing because Chase Ruye uh, got hurt in that Denver game. W- who's going to play this week? Uh, w- 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 will one of the vets come back? Will it be Ishmael again? I think that's something to keep an eye on because obviously it's the literal center of the offensive line. And then there's Montez Sweat. Uh, he will, they believe, start practicing this week. Whether he's activated off IR is another story, but obviously you got to be full strength as best you. Well, nobody's at full strength at this time of year, but how close can you get? And getting that entire group back would be huge, but even just a handful of those pieces would go a long way towards making you feel a little bit better going into this game. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know if you're gonna if you're gonna beat Dallas here, I think we all agree that they're gonna have to be firing on pretty much all cylinders. Now, Dallas isn't playing quite as well. We talked to Mike Sando earlier in the show from the Athletic, uh, and he kind of took us through that. You know. You're not really in panic mode about Dallas, but you are kind of wondering, all right, what's going on? They look out of sync. So certainly there is a window here for the football team to steal this game. And being healthy, being healthier than they have been is going to help them. It's also going to help them play out this schedule, Ben, because they've got one of the tougher schedules. A few weeks back, we kind of analyzed what was to come, and Washington is going to play a much tougher schedule than, say, Philly. So this is a big game in many regards, but this is also a big game um, because it kind of just shows how they stack up against the best. How good is this defense? How good is Taylor Heineke? We've seen flashes, but we haven't seen that consistency. So what is number two of these burning think-I-things inside Ben Standing's brain? Yeah, really, really important thoughts here. All right, number two. So specifically with Dallas in mind, I think the fact that Montez Sweat could be back, but even if he's not – how does Washington's defensive front deal with Dallas's offensive line? And I guess by deal with, I mean, for years, the Dallas offensive line was the strength of that team. 
and they often uh, overpowered Washington. It is not the same deal now. I had on my podcast, I'll have a new episode up on the Standard Room Only podcast probably uh, Thursday, and I had another athletic writer, John Machota, who covers the Cowboys on, and he said that right now the biggest issue for the Cowboys, he sees is their offensive line is out of, is out of sorts. Uh, injuries, they haven't had the same piece people in place game in, game out. Some of the guys are not playing well. This has led to issues. For Dak Prescott, it, it, it's hurt the running game. Whether Ezekiel Elliott is fully healthy or not, the line isn't helping his cause. And now you have Washington's defense. Yeah, maybe no Chase Young. Well, we know no Chase Young. Maybe Montez Sweat, maybe not. But you still have John Allen, who's been an absolute wrecker this year in the middle. Deron Payne, probably getting overlooked a bit. He's played pretty well in the middle. And then you have James Smith-Williams, Casey Tuhill, and others on the end. If that group can do the imposing of their will on Dallas, then that really can mess up Dak Prescott and and Ezekiel Elliott in that offense. I think that the game, to some degree, may hinge on that. Can that Washington's defensive line push uh, push around Dallas's offensive line? I think that will go a long way towards determining what's going to happen this week. That's a really interesting point. We didn't get into it too much, but it kind of explains a little bit of, you know, hearing the offensive line struggles for Dallas, why Prescott really doesn't look to be quite as strong as he did earlier in the season. And Sando mentioned this too, that, you know, he, it, there's nothing that says that they should be not playing well, Dallas, but they just keep looking out of sync. Passes aren't falling the way they should. And, you know, when you look at that offensive line, I mean, that's the domino effect right there, right? When they are not getting things done. And you're right. When I think of Dallas, you traditionally think of uh, a really strong offensive line. And if that's not the case, that opens the door for Washington to really kind of change the dynamic here because they've played so well on defense. They've really overperformed because they've missed their two big guys in Chase Young and Montez Sweat. So this defensive first, this defense philosophy that Ron Rivera has instilled is working. They're learning. And, you know, maybe that is kind of the, the key to victory here. But I know there's one more inside that brain, and I'm curious, what is behind door number three? Uh, all right, behind door number three, I'm curious about the vibe of this team. Now, look, it is a challenge to get a read. This is one thing I've had to adjust for myself, and I'm curious what you, how it's been for you uh, when you've been around the Nats or other teams this year is, like, I, you can sort of get a vibe somewhat of a team when you're in the locker room, the literal locker room, because you actually watch them be human and not have to stand in front of us when they're on sort of their either their best behavior or maybe they're putting up a front of to because they know they're in front of the cameras and whatnot. But... Uh, so it's hard to do that when we don't do that. But I want to. I'm curious about the vibe of this team because Ron Rivera keeps playing up this underdog role. They will, in fact, be an underdog this week per Vegas. I think it was a spread to Dallas by four, so they will be able to play up that aspect of it. But that said, they've won four in a row. They're clearly feeling pretty good about themselves. Does that change? Do they start getting start acting a little cockier? Is there any sense of of of, of that turning? Now Taylor Heineke is. Very confident young man at all times. So I'm not suspecting we'll see a different vibe out of him. Um, same thing with John Allen, who's the opposite. John Allen is a very serious man. Um, and by the way, kudos to John Allen. Today, he was for the second year in a row named Washington's uh, nominee for the Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year Award. Very prestigious honor uh, involving uh, charitable work. John does a, a lot of good stuff for the Sasha Bruce House in town that helps uh, uh, children uh, who, who are homeless and, and dealing with uh, with that, I wrote about that a couple years ago on the Athletic. Um, but he, I think, is a, he brings that serious vibe, and I feel like the defense has really uh, latched on to that, and they've become more focused on uh, this uh, during this stretch. But 
at some point you get and feeling pretty good about yourself. They had a big win in Vegas, the fourth win in a row. Does anything change? I'll be curious to see what signs can we pick up on. If not, or maybe maybe there won't be any. Maybe they will continue to be this group that's very uh, workmanlike and just looking to get the job done. You mentioned Vegas twice in that answer. So if you are <laughs> drinking every time Ben says Vegas during the show, uh, you should visit your nearest hospital immediately. <laughs> Um, not a sponsored hospital here. Just, just looking out for your health. No, uh, you know what? You're right, Ben. I mean, it, it's tough to get a pulse of a team when you're not in the clubhouse. It's tough to just watch the celebrations of Ron Rivera and say, this team is it. This team is magic. They've got it going on. Cause you're only seeing them at their best. You're only seeing the snippets of what's going on. It's like the Facebook updates. So you only see what people want to present, not the reality. Absolutely. You're, you're right. That's great. You're seeing like the Instagrammed. Washington football team. They're filtered. They're shiny. They're pretty. You're like, I like that. Right. And you're just not seeing anything else. So it is really tough to get a pulse of a team. And, you know, unless you have a lot of player relationships and you're able to kind of like call guys and just chat. I don't know how it works in the NFL and baseball. Uh, players are a lot more accessible. You can text guys. You can kind of get a feel for what's going on a little bit more. Um, but look, I mean, they're an underdog in Vegas because, of course, they're going to be an underdog. They're playing the top team right now. They're playing, they're, they're playing a team that they want to upend. They want to get there. So that doesn't really surprise me. Um, I think your earlier point about kind of the offensive line and really being a key to the game I thought was really interesting when you look at how these two teams match up. In your mind, Ben, I know you don't root for these games, but how does the road look if we're sitting here on our next show, which is next week, next Tuesday on Overtime, if we're sitting here talking about how somehow, some way, this team beat Dallas – what do you think had to have happened? Yeah, I think it's the formula that's been working. Run the ball. It's not like Antonio Gibson is averaging a great amount of yards per carry, but they're doing it consistently, and he's they're moving the clock. They're, they're, they're running the clock. It's helping Taylor Heineke stay in play action more, which is where he's being effective, and then it's keeping the defense fresh. If you can do these things, it, sometimes it doesn't have to be that complicated. All that is pretty simplistic stuff basic football one-on-one, but if that's what's working for them, if they can do that, it'll keep Dak Prescott off the field, keep the defense fresh, all those kinds of things. That's been working. I think that's what they need to do. Obviously, you have to make some big plays here and there, avoid the turnovers, et cetera, but that basic formula, run the ball, turn the clock, keep your defense fresh, I think that's that's, that's going to work for them. And like I said, if they can take advantage of their Dallas's weak uh, weakness on the offensive line, then um, you know they should, they should be in for a potentially good day. Well, we will see. We've got one more segment here with you. We'll talk a little bit more about this team. Ben will try to talk a little bit more about Vegas uh, when we come well, you back. You said I can't talk about the facts of life, so we got to do something. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's been a, it's been a great night, guys. Join us for the last few minutes of the show. Richard Rowley, Ben Standing, 106.7 The Fan. All right, last segment here on Overtime with Ben Standig and Britt Giroli. We write for The Athletic and would spend a lot of fun once again talking with Britt here on 106.7 The Fan. As she said last segment, we will be back here next Tuesday in this same time slot. So put that on your calendar. You don't want to miss 
Uh, we'll see what, what what random things I say over and over and over again in that episode, or what what things I notice on TV when I should be paying attention to the uh, to, to this show. You know, I realized right in the last segment that you famously cover baseball, and we've talked about baseball for zero seconds in this uh, in this uh, two two plus hours for one specific good reason. Uh, baseball is not a thing right now. It's it's in boring lockout mode. How 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 sad is that as a reporter when you have to like, you know, it's one thing if I'm talking about a bad team. There's always something you can talk about that's interesting with a bad team. There's no team. There's no there's no game. Only thing interesting is like what is it like the the, the website is like not putting on uh, pictures or face or, or yes. like they're not talking about the players. That seems interesting, but not really. Like what? How 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 sad are you feeling these days? Um, not sad because I get to come here and talk about other sports with you. Um, but it, I mean, not having baseball transactions after like a really fun, exciting month leading up to this freeze, um, kind of makes me sad. I do believe, and obviously we'll probably talk lockout, um, when there's actual news, but I do believe that these two sides are going to work it out, um, so that we will have a season, we will have a spring training, things like that. But yeah, there's no news. So, um, for me to kind of dominate the airwaves by talking about the Nationals signing Cesar Hernandez, um, it's just not going to, you know, we want people to listen to the show, Ben. Sure. The, like a you, new concept I'm trying out. You know, we want people to be excited. And I think that the biggest game in years for the Washington football team just like slightly edges out. Labor talk. Slightly edges out. Yeah. And Cesar Hernandez signing for the Nationals. Just just, just a little bit. Um more important. I think. That, that's actually an interesting question. We used to joke about this at various places. What level of transaction would you have to get to down for the football team in order for the, say the Caesar Hernandez thing to be interesting? Like I talked before that the, the Washington football team is on their fourth string center. Okay. Could we talk for a segment of just about the fourth string center situation versus a guy who did have like 20 home runs, right? Last year. He's a, like a very light hitting gold, gold glover. I went on Grant and Danny and they were basically joking like, we're having a parade here. We thought the Nats weren't going to make any moves. We're popping champagne. <laughs> We've got floats. We've got confetti. Like, it's a tiny move. But the Nats are in a weird rebuilding mode. They, like many clubs, uh, want to wait and see what the new rules could be with this new collective bargaining agreement. So I do understand that. Uh, but, yeah, it's more like the sixth string, which is probably not even, like, a thing in football like is the depth chart go that hey, far you know what they've all they're on four centers and four kickers there's five games to go in the regular season all be, uh, don't don't say no it's anything is possible at this point you know what? we haven't talked too much about the kicker situation it was such a hot topic earlier um in the season for them and i mean that kid johnson right uh he's such a generic name and i just keep forgetting it anyway um honestly what a great story because if he misses that i think we're probably placing a little more blame on Taylor Heineke and the offense and some of the missed opportunities, no? Yeah, for sure. By the way, I don't know if you're big into analytics. Uh, one of these sites, I apologize. I'm going to blank on this one, but maybe they're not listening. I get these emails every week talking about best, worst moves. They said that the Ronda Rivera's decision to to kick it on fourth and one, kick that 48-yard on fourth and one, was the worst coaching decision of the week, that they should yeah. have gone for it. And then I heard Ron Rivera on the Junkies today talking about this, kind of saying, well – Sure, but what if I don't? What if we don't make it? Then we don't even have the chance to kick the ball, and he chose to 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 kick it. So I thought that was interesting. But what a moment for that kid! You grow up here, you get called up, you get signed by this team on that Tuesday. You come in, players literally admit they don't even know your name. They you 
people might have thought you were like if you didn't have like your jersey on, people might have thought you were sneaking into the game, and you go out there and bang a forty-eight yarder to win it. Uh, that's an unbelievable moment. He, he said his family are, are Washington football team fans, even if he grew up a Ravens fan. That's awesome. And this is where, like, I'm glad Rivera said that, but this is why, like, everybody thinks they can be a coach, right? Everyone thinks they can do Ron Rivera's job from their couches. Uh, but when you have to live with that decision, when you have to make that risky move, that's when he earns his money, right? That is where it all comes into play. The experience, the knowledge, the trust. Um, that, to me, was just such a... Risky move that paid off. And he's had a couple of those, I feel like, this year. Um, he's been fairly aggressive this year on a lot of those, like, fourth downs. Um, but to me, that's the difference between Ron Rivera and Joe Schmo off the street who calls into the station or us who think that we can do a better job because we sit here and analyze and talk about what they should do. And you're doing it from the sideline. You're literally right there. There's all these, there's all this noise, all this happening. You are actually doing it as opposed to we we can't simulate the pressure. We don't. We're on the couch. We have no pressure. You can't simulate that aspect of it. Right. And I just think it's fantastic. And I hope that we see some really similar kind of moves. You're going to see every game, it seems like. There's just a couple big plays that determine the whole outcome of the game. A couple big decisions. So we're going to see them again against Dallas. And the question is, are they going to go Ron Rivera's way or are they not? And that's going to be what ultimately ends up happening here. Absolutely. All right. Well, we know that you have big decisions when it comes to what to listen to on the radio. So we appreciate you checking us out here on 106.7, the fan, Ben Standig, Bricciaroli. Again, we write for The Athletic. Same with Mike Sando. Same with Josh Robbins. Thanks to them for coming on and hanging out with us for a little bit. And, Britt, it's always a pleasure. And you and I will be back here next week. I will see you next week, Ben. I hope you are recovered from Vegas. <laughs> we, 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 we'll see. I'll, I'll work on it by next time. I'll, I'll be in tip-top shape. Uh, the Killer Bees, we're signing off until next week.